you are either accepting the word of the cross and allowing it to crucify your old nature or you are rejecting the word of the cross as foolishness. You're going to go in one direction or the other. You're not going to stay stagnant. People who embrace the cross, they start changing. Jesus told his disciples that anyone who would save his life must first lose it. Then he demonstrated this to his disciples by willingly laying his own life down at Calvary. But the gospel that is being preached today is totally different. It promises life to everyone without requiring them to follow Jesus' example. Many recite a prayer or join the church, but they remain unaware of what it really means to follow Jesus on the path to the cross. The result is that many professing Christians are still the master of their own lives, and they bear no resemblance to Christ. This false gospel wants the resurrection, but not the cross. This is our third and final episode on the message of the cross on purity for life. In our first segment today, we'll finish up the interview with Pastor Steve Gallagher on the message of the cross. We've explored the call to deny ourselves by seeing our true condition before God, and we've looked at the responses that people have to the message. They either reject it or they accept it. Today, we'll look at the final words of Jesus' call in Luke 9. We must not only deny ourselves, but we must take up our own cross and follow him. There must be an actual change in the way we live our daily life because at the core of Christianity is a commitment to live not for ourselves, but for Jesus. Steve Gallagher is back in the studio with us. Steve is the founder and president of Pure Life Ministries. Steve, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. I'm glad to be here with you, Mike. Steve, we want to wrap up our discussion that we started a couple of weeks ago, stemming from your book, Standing Firm Through the Great Apostasy, on the subject, The Message of the Cross. Now, last week, we started talking about the message of the cross from the perspective of Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Last week, we talked about what it meant to deny yourself, and we want to pick up where we left off there this week with what does does it really mean to pick up your cross? Why is that such an unpopular message today? Well, when you start talking about cross to Christians, most Christians start to cringe because to them the cross is completely negative. And the reason it's negative is because they feel like God is going to infringe upon their life and start making demands of them, start expecting them to give to start doing for others, to get out of themselves, and, and all of that kind of stuff, and they start just cringing inside. Well, you know why they cringe is because they are still on the throne of their heart. They still love self. They still love self. They're still devoted to self instead of being devoted to Christ. But once that conversion has happened and Christ is really on the throne, your attitude completely changes. Picking up a cross is a joy. I can say that, you know, Pure Life Ministries, I was created for Pure Life Ministries, and 
the last 20 some years, you know, humanly speaking, it was extremely hard, especially the first 10 years. But it was a joy at the same time. The thought of quitting was unthinkable. I would, what would I do? This is what I was created for. Every Christian has had a cross that has been fashioned specifically for them. And once they have denied self and given their heart to Jesus Christ, the cross will no longer be a negative thing. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm just seeing the insanity of wanting to hold on to self. And it is, as you've already said, the reason we don't see that insanity is because we think self is so good when self is wretched. It's a wretched thing. And until we see it for what it is, we don't want to let go of it. But what a great joy it is, as you're discussing, to let go of that wretched, horrible thing, put it under the blood of Jesus, and then be able to begin to become like him. Well, that's the thing, Mike, is, you know— Why isn't there more holiness in the church? Why isn't there more love? Why isn't there more sacrifice? Why isn't there people really living with a vibrant faith? It's because self is really on the throne of the church, you know, by and large. And people who have made that conversion have a completely different inner life than those who are trying to white-knuckle it through, living for the things of this world, really, you know, in their heart, but still doing the outward Christian thing. Yeah, and that really brings us to our third point, Steve. Having denied self, having taken up our cross, then Jesus said, you must follow me. And Paul understood, as you talked about here, that there are two paths, two separate roads available for those who consider themselves to be Christians. He did. It was in 1 Corinthians 1, and he said, The word of the cross, and that's what we're talking about, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This verse represents people who have heard the word of the cross, and those people are going in two different directions. You are either accepting the word of the cross and allowing it to crucify your old nature or you are rejecting the word of the cross as foolishness. You're going to go in one direction or the other. You're not going to stay stagnant. And, you know, the people who embrace the cross, you start to see Jesus Christ coming through them. They start changing. You can see their character being transformed. You can, like my mother, you can, they're up at four in the morning on their face before God. They're out doing things for others. They're supporting missionaries. They're do, getting out of themselves. There is a process of being saved going on there. But those who are rejecting the word of the cross as foolishness are heading in a completely different direction. They aren't looking to deny self. They want to live for self. They're not looking to say no to the flesh. They want to say yes to the flesh. They don't want to pick up their cross. They want to avoid their cross. And that is the basic fundamental difference between a true, genuine believer and a pseudo-Christian. It's important that you bring that out because I know that those who are in that condition, those who are really living their lives in a way that evidences that they think the cross is foolishness, you would never hear them say the cross is foolishness, nor would they even maybe think it to themselves. And that's the danger, that like the wheat and the tare together, they may not even see outwardly necessarily the difference, 
but in their heart, their attitude about what's required to be as a Christian. Like Judas, there's something different in the heart. The problem, Mike, is the system. We have a system in place that doesn't make it very easy to really see our need to be crucified. And because of that, we have vast multitudes who are coming through the system who have never really been to the cross, have never acknowledged their sinful condition, have never really repented of their past, have never really renounced self, have never really followed Christ except outwardly. They've never really made that transition from being a self-directed person to a Christ-directed person. That's why people aren't getting truly saved. Mm -hmm. Steve, these last two segments have been very challenging. And if there's a listener out there who has been challenged, they're uncertain about the genuineness of their faith as we've described the cross. If they're concerned about whether they've ever really come to the cross as we've described it, what should they do? Mike, I'm reminded of Martin Luther, who spent months in anguish crying out to God to save his soul. You know, considering the implications, that's the right response, that you are going to lay hold of Calvary and you are not going to let go until you have the assurance, the breakthrough spiritually, until you know that there is a different person indwelling you, until you feel that Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart, you don't, in a sense, you don't get up from your knees until you have that assurance. Jesus Christ will never deny a sincere seeker. Amen. Thank you, Steve. That is a good word and a hopeful word as well. Thank you so much for talking to us over these last three segments about the message of the cross. Okay, Mike. Good to be here. The message of the cross is a challenge to all of us. For some, it's a call to deeper consecration and devotion. For others, it reveals the falseness of their profession and their perilous condition before God. Please allow the message of the cross to examine you, to see whether you are in the faith. As Pastor Steve said, Jesus will never deny a sincere seeker. When you look at the cross, what do you see? One of the things we see clearly is the depth of the love of God toward humanity. If we would follow Christ on the path of the cross, we too must allow love to have its way in our lives. Now, it's easy to look to the culture to define love, but we must look to Jesus and to scripture if we want to learn what love really is. So I want to play an interview with Pastor Jeff Cologne, longtime friend of the ministry who held a number of positions here at Pure Life, because he breaks down the command of Jesus to love one another. I hope it will help you see a deeper picture of the cross and the call to follow Christ. 
Jeff Cologne has joined me in the studio. Jeff is the executive director for Pure Life Ministries. Jeff, it's good to see you again. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Mike. It's good to see you. We want to talk about Jesus and his commandment to love one another today. Why don't we start out with this? As opposed to, you know, the kind of love that we see in Hollywood movies and on television, very often linked to sensuality, what is the Bible talking about when it says love? Well, Mike, when Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, he's not talking about the word love as we have come to understand it in our society, but he's talking about it in an agape love, which really is the Greek of that word love. And agape love is how God loved us. It's an unconditional love. It has no strings attached to it. It's not looking for anything in return. It is a selfless love, a willingness to lay your life down, even for your enemy. It's a willingness to just continue to love that person. Jeff, how important is this aspect of us giving this kind of divine love to others as it reflects us being saved of a redeemed life? Well, Mike, there's many places in Scripture that God commands us to love as he loved us. I'll just quote one in John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he goes on and he says, by this all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So when I read that, what I see is the way I love others is going to be an expression of the faith that I am proclaiming to have in Christ. And Paul says, faith without works is dead. Not that we're saved by works, but Mm -hmm. there should be fruit of that faith in our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If if you're truly my disciples, there will be a fruit mm-hmm. of love. And if we really broke down all the fruits of the Spirit, we could really lump them all together and categorize them as a form of love, loving another person. Jeff, I know one of the things that we struggle with in ministry is that we can get so wrapped up in the doing of ministry that we forget the real root of our ministry is love. Yeah, it's love and people laying our lives down for them, and it's true. We could be like the church at Ephesus Mm. that Jesus spoke about in the book of Revelation, where they were doing everything right, but Jesus said, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. In other words, your works are not motivated by love. One of the areas in my life I know where I lack love, where (laughs) it always seems to bubble up to the surface, is when I'm driving. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my... uh... (laughs) Especially if I'm late to a morning meeting. (laughs) Actually, that happened to me today on the way over here. (laughs) You can relate. (laughs) I can relate. Why is it so hard for us to walk in this divine love? Well, first of all, it goes against our nature. You know, Mike, it's one thing to be aware of the commandments of Jesus and how we should treat them, but it's another thing to actually live it out in our daily life. And when we get into those tough situations in life. And I know for myself, God just uses those to show me my need for him and where I fall short, not to condemn myself, but uh, you know, I want to be aware of those things in my life and I should be changing and being transformed day by day. And so I welcome those times that if there's something not in my heart that I need to see and I can repent on and work on, um, it's part of God's process of teaching me how to love others. How much do we really need to rely on him in order to walk in true love? Well, one thing I've realized in my own life is that it's absolutely impossible 
to fulfill the commandments of Jesus in the arm of the flesh. Mm. When Jesus said, we're a branch and he's the vine, basically what he was saying was a branch can do nothing on its own. It can't produce any fruit. Mm -hmm. It must be attached to the vine. And it was a lesson to us that we need him. We need to be attached to him and we need his grace flowing in our lives to enable us to do his words. And he's always reminding me of that. I mean, the disciples had to learn that lesson. They learned it through their failures that, you know what? I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Jesus Mm -hmm. said the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Right, right. But Mike, you know, the great thing is Jesus promised us he would send us a helper. Yes. And as we yield ourselves and humble ourselves and commit to doing his word, his grace is there and will help us to love other people. How important is it, Jeff, in learning to love others that we really have a good sight of how God has loved us? Well, I know for me, Mike, in those times where I've failed and all, what helps me is always remembering and considering what Jesus did for me. When I do that, when I'm in sight of really the tremendous mercy that God's had on me and how Jesus loved me all those years I was in rebellion. He long suffered with me. He was patient. He was kind. Um, He drew me with cords of love, as it says in the book of Hosea. And when I see Jesus in the scriptures and I read a chapter like Isaiah 53, I'm just brought to a place of just the realization that I have been forgiven much. And is it too much for the Lord to ask me to love others? I mean, Jesus said, to whom little is forgiven, that person loves little. But to whom is forgiven much, they love much. And really what he was saying is if you're in sight, which we're all great sinners, we're all chief sinners, as Paul called himself, but not many see themselves that way. But when we do and we realize that, man, God, you have forgiven me so much, we're going to automatically love much. So it's so important never to lose sight of Calvary and and what Jesus did there and that he paid the price of my sin in full. And I never want to lose sight of that. We should really live at the foot of that cross. If we do that, we're going to love much. We're going to have a lot of compassion for other people. I've said it this way. If there's a lack of compassion for someone, it's because you've lost sight of the cross. Yeah, that's so true. Jeff, as we wrap this discussion up, um, let's look just briefly at our motive behind loving. When we go to love someone, uh, what ought the motive of our heart be? Well, obviously, we love because he loved us, but also we have to remember that Jesus said that as we love others, that's how other people are going to know we're his disciples, if we love one another. He said that in John 13, 35, and Jesus express that love to us. The Bible tells us he was the express image of the Father. When he hung on the cross, he was expressing the Father's heart to us. And in the same way, when we love one another, what we're doing is glorifying Jesus to others. We're manifesting who God is to others. And that really is God's goal for our life, to express his image. Mm -hmm. I've heard it said this way, that Our life and how we live our life might be the only Jesus anybody ever sees. Yes, amen. Well, Jeff, I hope that'll be an encouragement to those who struggle with loving those around them. Jeff Colon, thanks so much for talking to us about loving one another. Thanks, Mike. To end our show, I want to look at a practical application for those who are married. 
If you're struggling with sexual sin or if you're married to someone who is, then the command to love your spouse might seem like it's impossible. But here at Pure Life, we have 30 plus years of experience helping couples navigate through these tough waters. Jeff Colon returns to the studio with his wife Rose to discuss how to love one another through the difficult stages of rebuilding a marriage. And I do want to stress, this message is not for husbands who are unwilling to repent of their sins or give up their lifestyle. This message is for the couple that is earnestly seeking God's will, but is still dealing with the consequences that sin has caused in the marriage. Jeff and Rose, hi, it's good to see you again. Hey, Mike, it's good to be here. Jeff and Rose, as we focus on couples today, I'd like to kind of take a look at a couple where we'll just say the fella has come into the live-in program, the residential program here at Pure Life, and Rose will presume that the wife is going through the Overcomers at Home program. What kind of issues do these couples deal with as they come together and go through this experience? Typically, what we see, Mike, is just having a hard time bearing one another through the different kinds of issues that they'll be dealing with. And what I've seen with husbands a lot of times, I just had this happen just yesterday in a counseling session, the husband is looking at everything he's sacrificed to come into the program, everything he's given up to get his life in order. And he's been in sin for 30 years. He's been in the program for four weeks and he expects his wife to just come around and forgive him. And we need to move on from things and she needs to start patting me on the back kind of a thing. And Rose, how's the wife looking at that? Obviously, she's seeing it from a different perspective. Usually the wife, when the husband comes into the program, whether it's the living program or the yoga program, she has certain expectations for her husband as far as him changing into a totally different person. And if she sees anything of the old man cropping up, it sends panic. She goes into a panic mode. And for her, she may think that, well, is my husband really changing? Because I still see the old man there. So she starts to wonder, are her expectations realistic or not? Okay. And Jeff, how do you begin to deal with this fellow where, and I guess this is just kind of how guys are. We just, we deal with something, we move on and we don't think of think about it again. How do you begin to help him to, I don't know, what do you do? Help him to see his wife's perspective or, or what is what is the real issue that you have to deal with there? The real issue is self-pity. He's really feeling sorry for himself and he's looking for a little bit of recognition from his wife to make him feel better. And what I tried to help this gentleman understand was that he needed to be in sight of the mercy that God had had on him, that he didn't die out there in his sin, that it's the mercy of God that he's even in the program, and that he needs to have a grateful heart and with that needs to understand that he needs to bear his wife through what she needs to go through. And if she has a hard time and and maybe doesn't speak nicely to him on the telephone, he needs to bear her through that and be a little more understanding of what she's going through instead of focusing on how everything is affecting him. And I guess a lot of times for these guys, they may have been dealing with whatever the issue is, the sin issue, for many years, and this may just have been a sudden thing for the wife. And so you can understand how she may not be as quick to forgive or quick to move on. What's the real issue you're dealing with uh, with the wife? Well, a lot of times the wife is too focused on the husband and how he's not changing or maybe still the same. And we really want her to get a focus on the Lord and to encourage her that her husband's a work in progress, just like she is. 
sanctification is a process and it takes time for the Lord to change different attitudes in our hearts and our behavior as well. So we try to encourage her to get her eyes on the Lord and look to him and maybe write down some things that she does see that are different in her husband and not be so focused on what she still sees, but see what God is doing in her husband's life and encourage him in that way. Mm, Jeff is shaking his head. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of what I told this fellow to do, and it really goes along with what Rose is saying. I encouraged him to make a list and write down the things that he's grateful for about his wife. But one thing I told him was, she's talking to you. After 30 years of deceiving her and sinning against her, I said, you should be grateful she's just talking to you. But I'm sure there's 50 things you can think of that you're thankful for, for your wife. And in other words, get the focus off yourself and how you're feeling and how maybe you're not getting treated the way you would like to be treated and get the focus on your wife and praying for her and bearing for her and thanking God for the things that you are grateful for. Well, it sounds to me the common thing I hear from both of you, whether you're dealing with the husband or the wife, is that they need to bear each other. Right. That for both of them, a lot of it is getting their eyes off of themselves and looking, well, what can I do for this other person? How can I help them? Exactly. And how can I bear them? Mm -hmm. So this would be something we could all apply. Uh, How many relationships would be transformed overnight if we would just bear one another? Amen. Jeff and Rose, thanks again for being with us. We'll see you next time. Okay. The testimony of our graduates and our staff is that the Christian life is not easy. It's not made up of quick-fix gimmicks. It's a lifelong spiritual war to overcome the sinful nature and to reach heaven victoriously. And that means that just listening to this podcast isn't going to be enough for you to be an overcoming Christian. What is enough is a life of earnestly seeking the Lord through daily time with Him gathering with other earnest believers, and actively working out your salvation. Of course, we're here to help, and we have many resources available on our website, purelifeministries.org, and on our YouTube channel. I would urge you to explore those if you desire victory and freedom. But ultimately, anyone who wants to be with Jesus forever must obey his words. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and make the decision to follow him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. It isn't easy, but it's possible, and it's worth it. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.